Good morning, church. Um, I'm actually in Birmingham today preaching live, so today you get it on video. Uh, a swap that's going to allow us to do what I think some really neat things together today. I hope you're as excited about this at the end as I have been in making this. Uh, Robert Frost has a, had a famous poem in which the first line said this, Something there is that doesn't love a wall. You see, we don't love walls because walls are so often a symbol of failure. I mean, either you build a wall to keep someone out or to keep people in. Whether it's the Great Wall of China or whether it's the awkward wall being built now around Jerusalem or the wall we're building between us and Mexico. It normally is a failure in relationships. That's why we love it when walls come tumbling down. 1987, Ronald Reagan is standing in front of the Berlin Wall at Brandenburg Gate. And he made a speech in which he uttered a famous line, that all of his foreign policy advisors had told him was too provocative. But he stood and welled up with all the anger he could, and he said to the cameras into the huge crowd that day, Tear down this wall, Mr. Gorbachev. Everybody thought he was silly. It was amazing, 1989, when that wall began to come down, and people danced on the wall, and we gave out pieces of that wall. It was a great victory that said the wall was down, and today, as we continue to study the book of Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is so excited because he hears Jesus Christ say, through his death, tear down that wall. And so today he writes this church in Ephesus that's struggling with the wall of division between Jews and Gentiles and says some things that I think will be very applicable to us today about how we keep the wall down. Paul wants these walls to stay down that were built for centuries. And, and the first way to do that is to remember the way things were. That's why I've picked this spot. This is the building of the Katoma Street Church of Christ. Uh, before the Church of Christ built this building, which was the first Church of Christ in Montgomery, or bought this building, it was actually a Jewish temple. In 1901, the Church of Christ bought it. I remember as a, a child going into this building for services, and it's very, very breathtaking. At the top of the auditorium, there's an all-seeing eye. But what really struck me was there was a dividing wall right down the middle of the auditorium. Not real high, but in the middle of the center pews. And it was a leftover from when it was a Jewish temple, when there was that wall that separated the men from the women. You see, the Jewish faith had always had a lot of separation. The, the, the temple in Jerusalem had different courts. There was on the outside the court of the Gentiles. Then there was the court for women. Then the court for the Israelites. Then the court for the priest. And then there was the Holy of Holies where God dwelled, and only the high priest could go once a year. Now between each one of those courts was a dividing wall. And in between each court it got higher and higher and higher. So the wall between the Gentile court and the women's court was four and a half feet wide. It had 13 openings that you could go through. Archaeological finds have found the signs that witted those openings that would warn a Gentile if they were to go beyond that opening that they had caused their own death, which would happen right afterwards. So the wall was a great symbol of the division between the Gentiles and the Israelites. And so when Paul writes in Ephesians 2 about the wall coming down, he wants them to remember what it was like. Verse 11, 
Therefore, remember that formerly you were Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who called themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at that time you were separate from Christ. Hear that word, separate from Christ. Excluded, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of promise. You are without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Do you hear about the wall there? Do you hear about exclusion? Do you hear about separation? That's what Paul's saying. Remember the way it was before Jesus came. To understand how radical Paul's teachings were there in Ephesians chapter 2, you've got to understand the emotional charge behind this issue. You see, this was not simply a physical wall that separated the Jews from the Gentile. It was a high emotional wall, and it was full of incredible hostility. A typical rabbi in Jesus' day would say, a Gentile was born into the world for no other reason than to be more fire for the fires of hell. I mean, for a, a Jewish person to give a, a pregnant Gentile woman help would be looked at as a terrible thing because if you helped her have this child, then you just brought one more Gentile into the world. And they were completely opposed to that. If you brought a Gentile into your house, you had defiled your house. If your son or daughter, and you were Jewish, married a Gentile, then you would actually have their funeral service. They would be dead to you. This was an incredible issue. And the only thing, and I'm sure you picked up on this already, the only thing close to this in our day would have been the racial issue. And I'm standing here in front of the old Greyhound bus station here in Montgomery. On May the 20th, 1961, the Freedom Riders came through Montgomery. They had been promised by the government that they would be given safety. But when they unloaded here on this street, the police backed off and a mob surrounded them with clubs and beat many of them close to death. Now the Freedom Riders were black and white who'd come to the South to say, there does not need to be a wall that blacks and whites can ride on the same bus. And yet there was such hostility about it. Right here in our very historic city, this happened. The facts are both the blacks and the white riders were beaten. In some ways it said that the white riders, because they were standing up for the blacks, were beaten even more. You see, not only is there hostility between the races, just like there were between Jews and Gentiles, but there was hostility toward anybody that would try to break down those barriers. You know, we of all people living here in Montgomery know that people will fight to keep those walls up. I'm standing here at our historic capital in the very place that Jefferson Davis took the oath of office to be the first president of the Confederacy. And just a few feet down from here, in January the 14th, 1963, there was a fighting judge from Cleo who had been elected the governor of our state. And he was going to do everything he could to keep the racial walls up. 
And so at his inaugural address that day, he snarled, segregation yesterday, segregation today, and segregation forever. You see, people will fight to keep those walls up. I'm so thankful that as a city, we've learned to embrace this part of our past because as the old saying is, those who forget their past are doomed to repeat it. And and that's what Paul is doing here in this passage in Ephesians 2. He wants them to remember the past. He wants them to remember how bad things were before Christ. And so he uses some pretty strong language. They're without hope. They're without citizenship. They're without covenant. They were without God. That's the way things had been. And Paul says, you don't ever want to go back. And so again, I'm thankful that here in our city, we celebrate the fact that we never want to go back. As Christians, we celebrate the same fact. We want to see the walls down and stay down. Paul's working so hard to, to tear down these walls that have stood for centuries. Uh, he, first of all, is challenging them to remember what it used to be. But, but then he wants them to remember what God has done. And Paul's going to say some great words. But before that, as I stand here in front of Dexter Avenue, King Memorial Baptist Church, I want to read some words from Martin Luther King Jr. in 1956. That is the time when he was the pastor of this church. And he was preaching a sermon in which he sought to write out a letter to the church as if Paul were writing it. Let me read what he spoke that day. But let me rush on and say something about the church. I must say to you once more, as I've said so often before, that the church is the body of Christ. The body of Christ, in the body of Christ, there must not be division. In the body of Christ, there can be no disunity. But I'm disturbed about America and was happening in the body of Christ. They tell me that in America, you have Protestantism, more than 256 denominations. And the tragedy of America is not so much that you have more than 256 denominations, but the fact that these denominations are warring against each other and trying to make it appear that they only have the truth. And oh, this narrow sectarianism is destroying the unity of the church. And then he goes on to say, But America, there's another thing that disturbs me about your church. You have a Negro church and you have a white church. Oh, America, this is quite disturbing. For that cannot exist within the true body of Christ. How did that tragedy ever happen? You have allowed segregation to come into the church, America. Oh, how tragic that you stand on Sunday mornings to sing, In Christ there is no East or West. Isn't it tragic that you stand in the most segregated hour of your Christian nation? They tell me there's more integration in sports arenas and nightclubs than there is in the Christian church. Oh, how tragic that is. How appalling that is. You know, I can visualize the Apostle Paul writing those kind of words. He really writes pretty similar things in the next section here in Ephesians chapter 2. In verse 13, he says, But now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one. He's destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
by setting aside in the flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who are far away and peace to you who are near. What an amazing passage from Paul. And and what Paul is saying is that when Jesus came to this earth, he came on a peace mission. You know, in the history of the world, there's been a lot of peace missions. And if you read history closely, you'll see most of those accords don't stand the test of history. Today we see peace missions in the Middle East to somehow bring peace between Israel and Iran and the nuclear program going on there. We see peace missions in Russia and the Ukraine to drive peace to that war that's going on in Ukraine now. We see those peace missions, but none near successful as the peace mission of Jesus because Jesus came in the flesh and he put to death those warring factions. First of all, by abolishing the law. Oh, what was the problem with the law? The law was good. The law was given to create a holy people to bring the seed of God to the world. But the law had turned into endless rules and regulations that more were a discouragement than an encouragement. And no one could keep them. And the few who thought they could keep them had become arrogant and were the most divisive of all people. And so Jesus came to nail the law to the cross. And Jesus came in his body to endure our sins and to take upon himself the hostility of the races. You see, we need to marvel at what God has done. You see, we all struggle with bringing these walls down. The Jews and Gentiles weren't the first. We stand in front of this historic church where the battle was waged for equal rights among the races. We all know that we we tend to gravitate toward people that are like us, people with the same sin issue, I might say, people with the same skin color, people of the same economic background. And if we're not careful, we begin to, to build walls in our city between east and west, between black and white, between rich and poor. And you see, what we need to remember is that God came to bring those walls down. When Jesus came to this earth on this peace mission, it's just interesting to look at what this word peace means. It's not just the ending of hostility. Jesus is not coming to say, you're separate, but you're equal. The word peace here means whole. It means togetherness. It means something that's very, very healthy. And so when Paul begins to say to these Jewish and Gentile people, there is no difference, they have a hard time with that. I mean, the Jews thought that the Gentiles were were less than than dogs. The, the Gentiles accused the Jews of being pig worshipers because they wouldn't eat pork. And so it was a difficult pill to swallow for Paul to say there is no difference. They knew what that meant. They knew that that would mean that, that they would begin to have to, um, to fellowship together in the church. It meant they would eat together in the same house. It meant their children would play together. It meant their children might possibly marry each other. You know, that's been a difficult pill to swallow for our country, hasn't it? 
right here in this spot on December the 1st, 1955, is when Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat to a white man. And that began the Montgomery bus boycott, which was the flame that ignited the civil rights movement here in America. It was slow, difficult change, but yes, change came. And even across the world today, when that kind of change is needed and walls need to come down, Rosa Parks' name is still mentioned as the beginning right here in our city. It was difficult change, but it was needed change. It was godly change. You know, this kind of change comes very slowly. These walls don't come down very easily. Uh, Ten years after Rosa Parks refused to give up her seat on that bus, African Americans did have the right to sit anywhere on the bus they wanted to, but they still, as a whole, did not have the right to vote. And so ten years later came the Selma to Montgomery march that we've just been commemorating. And it ended here just a few feet from where I am. Martin Luther King was not allowed to stand on the Capitol steps, and so they brought a flatbed truck and parked it in front of the Capitol steps with a, a podium they had found in the basement of uh, Dexter Avenue Baptist Church. And on that day, King spoke in front of 25,000 people who'd come and joined those marchers, fighting for their freedom and fighting for their rights. It didn't come easily. It was not until people had seen the protesters beaten on the bridge in Selma did America rise up and say, enough is enough. They deserve the same rights and privileges that we have. Now, one fact of history I think often overlooked, that not only in America, but across the world, when walls are coming down, the people who fight that battle are disciples of Jesus Christ. You see, God moved to break down that wall between the Jew and Gentile. And God's people have moved across the world to say, you know, in the eyes of God, we're all equal. We have the theology behind the practice. And that's why the civil rights movement was led by preachers and pastors like Martin Luther King Jr. And by Christian women like Rosa Parks. Fascinating that both of their lawyers was a man named Fred Gray, who is still alive. I've met him, I've heard him speak about this era. Incredible lawyer, member of the Church of Christ in Tuskegee. You see, we are the people who fight in the name of Jesus to break down the walls. And when we do that, though it may be difficult, it's simply us following our Savior. I hope you've enjoyed our whirlwind tour of different historical sites in Montgomery. Uh, now we come to the conclusion of our message, and I hope that we get that. Paul says at the conclusion of this part of Ephesians, in Ephesians 2, verse 18, he says, For though through Him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Consequently, you're no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people, and also members of His household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus Himself, as the chief cornerstone. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. 
And in Him you are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Paul's final point here is that if we're going to keep the walls down, we've got to cooperate with what God is doing. You see, God says here, I'm building a new temple. It's a temple without all the dividing walls. It's a temple without a court for the Gentiles and one for the Jews and one for the priests. It's a temple where there's full access to our Heavenly Father. It's not one man going into the Holy of Holies one time a year. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil of the temple was rent in two from top to bottom. God tore it to symbolize that every one of us now has full access to the Father in this new temple. Now, the temple he's talking about here where the Holy Spirit dwells, he's not talking here about individuals. He's talking about the church as a whole, that we are being built together to be this holy temple. And you see, in this temple, there's reconciliation. Some people said in in Paul's day that Christians were not of the Jewish race or Gentile race. They were the third race. And that's us today. As a church, we want to be that third race, race of people. Now, there's some church growth experts that say to us today, if you really want to build a big church, it needs to be homogeneous. In other words, you decide we're going after a certain segment of the population. Many large churches in our country have gone after upper middle class white people, and they built their church around that. They say that's the fastest way to build a church, and it might be, but it's not the biblical way to build a church. You see, God says, I want there to be a temple with no walls. That's what I love about what's going on here at Landmark. I love that we were becoming more and more diverse. I saw a beautiful thing a few Sundays ago, and I went to um, a life group hosting our single mothers back in the celebration room. It was a group made of many of our, our senior saints here at Landmark, our prime timers, we might call them. The group led by Tommy Vault and Bill Page. And yet they had adopted this ministry to our single mothers and their small children in which they were serving them and giving for their needs and celebrating them in a beautiful meal. I love when the barriers are broken down. I think our, our ministry in this church, the same-sex attraction, has allowed the sin barrier, that we all have different sin issues to come down. I think RSVP has been very instrumental in helping economic barriers to come down in this church. And I love that I look across this church today and I see so much more racial diversity because that's the picture that God has of His church. Because we have a new identity. Our identity is not found in our background or our skin color or our economics. God doesn't think there are rich Christians and poor Christians. God doesn't believe there are black Christians and white Christians. God doesn't believe there are young Christians and old Christians. God doesn't think there are Church of Christ Christians and Brand X Christians. We're just Christians. And that's the way it's supposed to be. And that's what Jesus did for us. And that's what we do as His body today. So I encourage you, make sure as you're inviting and reaching out to people and owning this mission that we have, that we're casting the net wide not just to people who live where we live or look like we look or act like we act, but to everybody. The gospel's for all. And as you reach out to people in this church, whether it's in your small group, your life group, or whatever, does the fellowship of that group look diverse? I challenge you to make it that way. 
I know it's not always the easy way to do things. It wasn't easy in the first century when the wall came down. It's not easy today. But it's the godly thing to do. And with the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, we can do it. I ask you today, do you invite people into your home that are different than you? What are your children learning about this wall coming down? Are they recognizing that you don't recognize any of those old divisions any longer? That as Paul said, there's now no difference. You see, God can bless that. And that's the kind of church that God wants to build. And I am so thankful to be a part of a church where that's happening. And that happens when you and I individually take the lead to treat people without distinction. No distinction because of their skin color, because of their background, because of where they live. Because we're all being called to be this third race where the walls have come down in the temple and everyone has access to the same Father. As we conclude this message, I just want to review what we've said. Paul's saying, let's keep these walls down that Jesus came to crash down. And in order to do that, we need to remember what we used to be. We need to recognize what God has done, and we need to cooperate with what God is doing. That brings me back here to the King Memorial Baptist Church on Dexter Avenue. You see, great things have happened to bring these walls down. And we must celebrate every time those things happen. In the first century, it had to be quite amazing when Jews and Gentiles began to worship together with no distinctions, when even slaves and masters were in the same church and the walls came down. Amazing things have happened here in this very building. Just a little over a year ago, the Compassion 21 singers come. You know, Compassion came to this building. You know, Compassion 21 is one of the ministries we're highly involved in. And they have a singing group that's made of inner city kids, made of white folks, black folks, made of Hispanics, very racially and economically diverse. And they came and sang in this auditorium. And after they sang that Sunday, the pastor of this great historic church stood and said, I've just witnessed with my eyes the fulfillment of Dr. King's dream. That's what he dreamed about. You see, in the the first century, they had to be amazed when Jews and Gentiles began to worship together. When it even went so radical that a slave and the slave owner would be in the same church that began to break down those walls. One of my favorite points of history happened again back at this church. In 1987, after George Wallace had been out of office for a few years, he became very repentant of his segregationist racist past. He found out that there was a a pastor's meeting at this church of African-American pastors from throughout the country. He told no one he was going to do this except his valet, who drove him down to this church, carried him in his wheelchair up these stairs, and in the middle of the conference, he interrupted it, rolling down the aisle till he finally got in the middle and asked if he could have a microphone. And with tears in his eyes, his body withered. He apologized to those pastors that day for what he had done in the past. The scene closes with Jesse Jackson coming over to George Wallace and embracing him 
and Wallace is crumpled into Jackson's arms, and Jackson prays over George Wallace. You see, my friends, that is the power of the gospel to reconcile. And for you and I, this message starts to be applied when we are reconciled with God. So I say to you today, if your relationship with God is not what it ought to be, because of your sins, Jesus has paid the price, and you can be reconciled today. But here's the next step. After you're reconciled with God, you begin to be reconciled with other people And possibly today, there's some people maybe in this church or in your family or where you work, or maybe you've carried prejudice because of race or because of economic backgrounds or whatever. There's some reconciliation that needs to go on in your life with somebody else. And possibly we could pray for you today. If you need that kind of prayer, if you need to be reconciled to God, or if you need to be reconciled even to this church, why don't you come forward right now while we stand together and sing.